The first lesson today is from Exodus. The Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 gerars, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half the shekel. When you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives, you shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for their service of the tent of the meeting that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord, so as to make atonement for your lives. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, And they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. And when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. I speak to you in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I have always been loath to preach about money. I know it's something I've got to do as a priest, but it's usually uncomfortable and I never look forward to it. So in that way, for me, it's sort of like going to the dentist office. As to the reasons for my discomfort... First of all, like many, I probably have some baggage around money that's not completely resolved, which causes me to fear being perceived as a money grubber should I preach about money. But a second reason for my discomfort is the rather inconvenient truth that the New Testament essentially lacks any explicit command for the followers of Christ to tithe. That's right, I said it. Now to be clear, the Old Testament has commands aplenty. It reveals that the Israelites were obligated to give multiple tithes. In fact, most scholars believe that if you added up all of the Old Testament tithes that were required of Israelites, it would require them to return more than 20% of what they had to God. Whew! Well, then considering the New Testament, Jesus talks about money 
almost more than he talks about anything. I don't know if you've noticed. A whopping 16 of his 38 parables are about money. And the four Gospels contain 288 verses about money. That's one out of every 10 verses. So Jesus clearly believes our attitudes toward money are a big deal. But probably the closest we see Jesus get to explicitly commanding anyone to tithe is in Matthew 23. There we find Jesus criticizing the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, for thinking themselves to be righteous because they scrupulously paid their tithe. Right? All the while neglecting, they neglected what Jesus called, Jesus called the weightier matters of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So instead, in that passage, Matthew 23, which isn't in your bulletin, Jesus suggests that they should have kept the tithe without neglecting these other important things of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So I've always found it frustrating that Jesus and the rest of the New Testament writers will mention the subject of tithing, but they never, never address it head on for us. Only indirectly in spots. And our gospel passage today is a great example of this. But as we explore what to make of it, I, be, I believe we'll begin to see perhaps why tithing isn't addressed with an explicit, detailed command in the New Testament. That perhaps the absence of such an explicit command and some, some hard and fast rule is intentional. This morning, for the second Sunday in a row, I've chosen to depart from the scriptures that our lectionary prescribes and pick up right where we left off last week. As I mentioned last week, the lectionary, which appoints our scriptures for each Sunday, had us skipping from the middle of Matthew 17 all the way to the middle of Matthew 18. So, so I've never preached on our gospel passage in the six years I've been here, from Matthew 17, 24 to 27. And I wanted to take that opportunity today, felt led to take that opportunity. But turning our attention to this passage, we can maybe see why the lectionary might have been inclined to just have us skip it all together. After all, it describes certainly one of Jesus' stranger miracles as he directs Peter to go grab his fishing pole and cast his hook into the sea where Peter can expect that the first fish he catches will have a shekel in its mouth. At times, the church and some Christians have even been somewhat embarrassed by Matthew's inclusion of this miracle in his gospel, since it seems, at least on the surface, to be more self-serving than most of the miracles Jesus usually performs as the purpose of this shekel is to pay his and Peter's annual temple tax. However, if one is reading this passage as an instance of Jesus just being a day late or a dollar short, I would suggest they are missing the point. But let me back up. Let me explain where this temple tax comes from in the first place. I actually included it as our first lesson this morning, which is taken from a section of Exodus. And there, 
God, for many chapters at that point in Exodus, has been giving instructions to Moses for the construction of his tabernacle, which was to be a transportable temple, really a tent, where sacrifices could be made and where God's presence could dwell among the Israelites while they were out in the wilderness. Well, as you can see in this particular passage I've taken from Exodus, God instructs Moses to impose a tax upon the people, saying in verse 13, Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who's numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. And this offering would fund the sacrifices that the Lord had commanded. It would enable the ministers at the tabernacle to do everything that God had commanded. Right? Well, centuries after that, when Israel eventually constructed a temple under King Solomon... This annual half-shekel payment became known as the temple tax to support the temple sacrifices in Jerusalem. And all Jews from all around would pay that, right? It, It remained to Jesus' day. Once a year, every Jewish male, 20 years of age, was expected to pay this temple tax of a half shekel or two drachmas, as our passage says. Same thing. So when Jesus and his disciples come into Capernaum in verse 24 of our gospel, Capernaum was Jesus' home base at that time. It was the, the home base for his public ministry. So this is the district where Jesus would traditionally pay that tax, right? But the tax collectors come up to Peter and ask, Does your teacher not pay the tax? And it makes sense that they would wonder if Jesus was going to pay the temple tax. Since Jesus had already disrupted so much of the status quo, hadn't he? When it came to the law, he was teaching, You've heard it said this, but I say to you that. And the temple, Jesus had previously suggested that he was greater than this temple. So is he going to pay the temple tax, they wonder? But we also have to understand that for someone like Peter... Paying the temple tax was just assumed. I mean, in that culture, men who didn't pay that tax would have been universally condemned as godless and unfaithful. So Peter responds to the collectors, Yes, of, of, course, he's gonna, of course he pays the tax. But when Peter returns to the house, Jesus already seems to know how Peter has been questioned, as only Jesus can, Right? Because Jesus asked, what do you think, Simon Peter? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And the point that Jesus is making is that earthly kings don't tax their own families. Right? No, earthly kings would would tax just the subjects of the kingdom, their subjects, not their own family. So when Peter correctly answers, well, they would take them from others, Jesus concludes, then the sons are free. The sons of the king are free. Meaning free from debt or obligation. So you see, Jesus is explaining to Peter why he, as the son of God, is actually not obligated to pay the temple tax because it is the temple of his very own Father. 
But then in verse 27, he continues on saying, However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. So enough for Peter and Jesus. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. So Jesus is saying, look, Peter, I am free from having to pay this temple tax. But I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to do it miraculously, no less. Why? Because Jesus does not want to create any additional stumbling block between him and the Jews, from the Jews believing in him. He knows that if he were to not pay this tax, it would cause the majority of those Jews who don't recognize him as the Son of God to needlessly take offense at him. So Jesus is voluntarily choosing to limit his own freedom out of love for others, for the sake of others. Which means this miracle he's asking to, uh, Peter to help him with is not really self-serving at all but for love of others. Of course, a story of Jesus living sacrificially for others shouldn't exactly be breaking news for us. However, there is some breaking news that I want to call your attention to. And that is a small but significant word that Jesus says at the end of verse 25 and that he repeats in verse 26. That's the word sons. In his explanation to Simon Peter, Jesus asked, From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or others? And when Peter says from others, Jesus says, Then the sons are free. So again, we have Jesus saying that he's free from paying that temple tax because he's the Son of God. But instead of using the word son, he uses the plural sons. Or someone might translate it children. Because Jesus is applying this principle not only to himself, but to Peter and to us. To all who have been made the sons and daughters of God through Christ. Remember, throughout the New Testament, we are taught that through faith in Christ, we have been adopted into God's family, right? For example, in Ephesians 1, Paul writes, In love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ. In Romans 8, Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And Jesus himself confirms this in John chapter 20 when he tells his disciples, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And this means that just as Jesus is free when it comes to the tithe, So are we. Now this doesn't mean we won't choose to tithe. Rather it means that in Jesus the meaning of the tithe for us changes. And this begins to make sense if you look back at that Exodus passage. Because just look at verse 12 there. God says, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord. 
right? And in verse 16, God literally calls this, this tithe atonement money. He says, You'll, you shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. In other words, for Israel, this tithe or what becomes the temple tax, it, it's required for the forgiveness of their sins. Wow. No wonder those who didn't pay it in Jesus' day were considered unholy. They literally were unholy, right? They were unforgiven. And Judaism, paying the temple tax, was part of receiving God's forgiveness. But in Jesus, all of this changes, doesn't it? Because for those of us who place our trust in Jesus, forgiveness comes how? Only through Him. And what's fascinating is that the New Testament, in the New Testament, we see the same language that this Exodus passage uses in reference to that tithe. We see it in the New Testament used in reference to Christ, right? In Matthew 20, Jesus himself will say that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. There's that word, ransom. In 1 John, it says, it is, it is he who, it is Jesus who is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world's. Both instances use the same language that was used in that Exodus 30 passage for the temple tax. But now in reference to Jesus. Because now God's acceptance of us is no longer determined by some tithe, but solely by what Jesus did for us on the cross. So you see, in Jesus, the concept of tithing has been transformed from an obligation that we must fulfill to be forgiven to an opportunity. An invitation from God to limit our own freedom in love of God and others. And this is an important point, that, that we're not to use the freedom Christ has won for us as a license for self-indulgence, right? But as an opportunity for love. If you'll notice in that Galatians passage from our second lesson, verse 13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So in our case, tithing is first of all a way of loving God. By demonstrating, it's our way of demonstrating our trust in Him as our provider. But it's also a way we can love our neighbor because tithing ex sustains and expands the ministry of the church. If that passage from Exodus does anything, it serves as a valuable reminder that if it were not for the giving of the people, the ministry of the tabernacle and later the temple wouldn't be able to happen. And the same goes for the church, right? And this parish isn't an exception. But I wonder if we've ever thought about what we give to the church as loving others. See, the, the truth that, that we pray so often in the Lord's Prayer, right? 
for God's name to be hallowed, for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done in, the, in this world, on, on, on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer is best fulfilled and achieved not by ourselves alone, but through the ministry of the church. The church is God's chosen vessel, and it is indispensable for the gospel to go out to others. Now you may say, well, wait a second, John. I could go out and personally share the gospel with somebody without the church at all. Sure, that's true. But your ability and motivation to do that are only nurtured from being active in the church, in the church body yourself. And furthermore, we, we could go out and rack up all sorts of conversions, right? But if these converts never get into the church, their faith probably ain't going to last. And they certainly won't step into that kingdom life that God intends for them to have. But even furthermore, not all of us have the gift of evangelism. Right? Can I get an amen? And for those of us who don't, right, if you don't feel very skilled at, at sharing or willing to share the gospel of Christ with others, you can always do what? Invite them to church. Right? So if we believe Oakdale and Stanislaus County is a better place with St. Matthias, and we want to love our neighbor in this town and county, it only makes sense that we would do everything in our power to support the continuation and expansion of this ministry. That we would choose to limit what we have, to limit our freedom, as Jesus did, for the sake of others. To love because he first loved us. And really, this miracle of Peter catching the fish with a shekel in its mouth, it, it's teaching us something about God's provision, right? That, that all of the resources God provides us with are meant for one goal. Right? Every penny you've ever received from the Lord, which means every penny you've ever received, is with one goal, to enable us to love God and our neighbor. So two goals. Now that doesn't mean that all of our money goes to the same thing. Right? Some of our funds go toward, our, toward food. Some of our funds go toward clothing and housing. Some goes towards paying our taxes. And then we may, we may put other funds toward amusement and relaxation, right? And finally, many of us choose to limit our freedom, to limit our, our, our resources by tithing. But all of those expenditures are meant to be done in a context of having the aim of our life be loving God and our neighbor, right? Rather than just living up for ourselves. Even the, even the amusement or entertainment that I may spend my money on is to enjoy what God has given within the boundaries he's given it and to rest and restore me to, to be a vessel uh, of God's ministry to others, right? 
So to summarize, you know, we hear a lot about the biblical tithe. Well, the tithe isn't biblical so much because there is an explicit command for Christians to do it. Instead, it's biblical because the opportunity to tithe is merely one piece of the eternal life God lays out for us in Scripture. When we are willing to trust Him in that way, we, we will experience, through trusting Him, more of, of, of the fulfillment of eternal life. Because we will be expanding God's ministry to love others. Right? And as Christians, that's what we believe. Rather than putting our resources toward expanding and maintaining our own little kingdoms alone, that's what the world does, Right? We believe there is much more joy and fulfillment to be had in seeking to expand his kingdom. So you've survived the sermon on money. But let me end with this. As we consider how to give both when the plate goes around on Sundays and with our our 2018 pledge drive coming up in October, we approach these knowing that... We need to approach these things knowing that God's acceptance of us does not hang in the balance. God's acceptance of us has been completely disconnected from what money we give to His church. But the more we become like Jesus the more we're going to find our attitude shift toward viewing the resources God has given us not as money to hoard or, or as a means for self-indulgence, but as giving us the opportunity to love. Amen.